0: Namaste. So, uh, in this 150th year of Sri Aurobindo's birth, sesquicentenary, I think one of the best ways to celebrate is to read Sri And next, better way to celebrate is to uh, live the teachings of Sri Aurobindo. Because after all, what would make him really happy is if we read and try to live those teachings. All else is, uh, we may have talks, seminars, discussions, but their purpose should be the same. That to read Sri to inspire to read Sri to not just read for the sake of reading, but with the um, motive that let us try to understand and try to live the teachings. And what is yet greater than that, or what is the best thing, which the mother has said, is to love and serve Sriorbindo. In fact, that is the key both to reading Sriorbindo and the key to try to understand and live his teachings. Because if we try to understand through a scholarly wisdom or scholarly approach, then we run the risk of fitting Sriorbindo in one of the brackets. And Shrubindu is not a finite philosophy with closed ends. His is an outpouring from the infinite and it cannot be cabined into the narrow room of an idea. It may seem as if it is this, it may seem as if it is that, but it exceeds everything from. at every side. Here I am reminded of a small little story actually of. Uh, The seer king Ashwapati, as is recounted in the ancient scriptures, that few sages and seers go to him. He was known as the king, seer king, who has uh, the secret which many others, even seers and sages who have renounced the worldly life, don't have. So they go to him and they want to understand that secret of the mm, cosmic energy the cosmic workings the cosmic fire as it is called and to have that secret you have to engage with the world otherwise you cannot discover it and which is what king ashwapati he is a seer but who has engaged with the world in all its grim earnestness who has so all these seers go and um, when they meet him ashwapati says you rest in the palace tonight and tomorrow we'll sit and discuss so uh, next day, there is a discussion. He calls all of them, and he doesn't straight away start revealing what he has discovered. He asks them, "What have you discovered?" So each of them reveals what he has discovered. Ashapati, the historical Ashapati, <laughs> he does not uh, negate any seer, but simply adds something, and by adding it, he gives it a completely a new dimension. It's like he puts in the missing link which liberates philosophy from the thought structures in which philosophical systems are entrapped. It liberates philosophy from itself and takes it to another level. I mean philosophy is a door towards um, the true spiritual journey. Spiritual journey is not philosophy, it is something much greater. But there can be a philosophical system born out of spiritual experience. That's a different thing altogether. So he liberates them. Something similar we see with Sri Aurobindo. He writes about Vedas and yet liberates the Vedas. It's in the truest sense when Matsavtar is asked, "What? why have you taken a body? And it says, Vedānu I have come to rescue the Vedas. So one way to understand rescuing the Vedas is that they are lost and you recover them another way is that their real sense is lost and people uh, are playing either with words or ritualistic action and um, the avatar releases the veda and at the same time brings in something new this added dimension which is hinted here and there but not made explicit so he liberates, because Veda is the secret knowledge and if you look at it like that, Veda is not just a set of books. So he liberates the secret knowledge in creation and writes another chapter to the cosmic book of the Vedas and by writing that chapter gives a new sense to the entire thing. For instance, we will often see when Shriman writes in uh, essays on the Gita, he uses the word supramental, supermind, which is not there technically speaking in the Gita strictly. But he brings in because that's a way he has seen what is hinted, the doors, the little windows which are opening towards something much vaster. And while logicians and thinkers and philosophers and theologicians, they remain confined within the framework, Shabindu has the courage to step beyond the boundaries that the word has set for us. And that's why he reminds us, in the synthesis of yoga, the great phrase of the Gita, which says, "Shabda Brahma ativartate. go beyond the word of the scripture, whether heard or written, both. So this should be the idea of reading Shirbinndo to understand and to have the courage to live those teachings rather than simply discuss over. you know we can discuss um, ad infinitum, but even the purpose of discussion, if any, should be how we can live the teachings better. So, when people read Shorbindo, they encounter difficulty. So, what is the reason for this difficulty? First difficulty is uh, people say that he uses long sentences. We have spoken about it that he uses long sentences, not always, but often, because when you have to understand a thing from many angles, Shorbindo has a total comprehension of things. So, when you have to understand they think from many angles, there are ifs, buts, ands, commas, semicolons to see it from entirety, totality. This is the reason. And it is very easy to read the long sentences by giving the right pauses. Every comma, semicolon. That's why should said not a comma is to be changed in his writing. Because if you change the comma, it becomes very difficult to read. Now, there of course, people get into debate did he put a comma here did he not put a comma here we don't know i mean that's something which is left to the wisdom and the uh, sincerity of the people in the archives but we can on our own side always learn to pause and when you pause and take the previous and then the next one almost the way vedic hymns were remembered we can get the drift of the whole thing for instance if you take ishavasyam idam sarvam yatkincha jagatyam jagat so each is connecting with the other and the same scheme Sri follows and then tena otherwise look disconnected but when we connect it to what has gone before, what is to come after, it becomes easy to comprehend. So long sentence is not a problem. In, in fact, it gives us a total picture of things. The second reason why he not only uses long sentences, people often say he writes many times as if he is writing very elaborately. Well, that's because Shrivindo is connected with the manifestation. He is not talking only about souls meeting with the super soul. It's not just about Atma Paramatma Milan. I am amazed that any number of people who end up simply saying that it's about you know liberation, it's about soul with uh, meeting the Paramatma. And I have to sometimes I ask "Have you really read? Have you even heard what Shrivindo is?" You know, we are talking about, so it's because we have certain slots and we are just trying to pick up that. But Sri is not speaking only about soul's union with the divine, which is a foundation. But also nature, manifestation being uplifted to the divine. Nature itself being liberated. And what is nature? We can equally say what is not nature. Everything, every activity from the atoms right up to the galaxies, from the little fluttering of the butter, flapping of the butterfly's wings to, you know, birds which are, have very wide span, which uh, go through the sky from the entire evolutionary journey from dust to man and beyond gods, demons, it's all nature. So if we have to participate in the manifestation and particularly upgrade it to divine manifestation, we need to understand nature. And Sri gives us a unique, new, divine understanding of nature. Hence, he has to be very elaborate. Otherwise, he could simply say, sit and meditate and find the answer and wake up one day. You will get enlightened. I'll give you a method and a technique and that's the end of the story. But that's not his yoga. His yoga is, of course, finding God is one aspect of it. Not, I mean, it's a base, a foundation. But there is a lot more to follow, and even this finding is not by cutting off from nature. So that's why, in synthesis, Srivindra says not exclusive concentration but an inclusive concentration. So there is a way of finding God by cutting yourself from nature. The soul gradually withdraws from every activity and eventually by aspiration, by meditation, by bhakti, by Uh, Whatever means, it eventually finds the divine and merges with him. But in Shurabindu's yoga, if you just do that by withdrawing, withdrawal can be a temporary period. Then when you come back to nature, the field is unprepared. So the entire journey takes place through all the challenges of nature. So that's why he writes in such an elaborate way. So this is the second objection. Third problem is people are trying to fit Shurabindu into slots. What is the slot? The other day we were hearing about, you know. Is it advaita, advaita, Dvaita? As if there is, the entire understanding is exhausted in these three terms. These three terms don't exhaust the manifold relations that man can have with the divine. For instance, the entire Vedantic thought misses something very fundamental, which I am sure the average Vedanti is not even willing to recognize. And he will put it into the slot of Dvaita But Dvaita is still We try to understand from the intellectual frame And that is love It is completely missing Love, the ananda in creation So those who It is not about Vedanta It is the philosophical systems that have been derived out of it So Vedanta itself does speak of the divine as rasa Though love explicitly is missing there I mean it is only hinted So one has to understand that the last book of God is still to be written. It's something so simple. And often I say that if we start talking about one book, one revelation or few revelatory seers and that the end of the story, then this is exactly the objection which new religions say. That well, your book was written long back, your seers were long back, we have written something new which we have upgraded. And therefore this is the last, (laughs) the same mistake. But God is moving ever forward. So that's why we have accepted and admitted in Sanatana Dharma an entire evolutionary movement. And that is something so beautiful. The last page of the Vedas is still to be not only written, to be discovered. That last page is within matter. Is this coming up of man the last page in the epic of the soul's journey? It cannot be. Anybody with a little logic can look at it. So, what is that last page? The secret knowledge is there within matter. What is it going to write? So, beyond man, it is going to write the story of the divine superman. So, will it end there? No, because he is infinite. Beyond the divine superman, the supramental being, there will be a being of bliss in a body of bliss. What will be beyond the being of bliss and the body of bliss? So, Shobindo will say, Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait and watch. But not a last finished page. So, for the moment, we have enough agenda for a thousand years at least. And let's focus on that. Rather than trying to fit Shobindo as if belonging to the past, it is to this tendency that the mother remarked Shobindo does not belong to the past. He is the luminous future advancing towards its own realization. So, when somebody tried to show the different lineage of seers and then Shurabinder, he says, no, you should start with the bank. <laughs> That's not how one has to look at it. That's one way to approach. But because he has brought something new, it changes the entire base. Many people, when they read it, they couldn't understand. He says, uh, but then, you know, uh, is it suddenly he is appearing and all this nonsense? That's not what she's saying. She's saying that Shurabindu brings a completely new understanding even of the very past. So you can't say that this is how Vedantic thought and then Puranas and the Gita, then Shurabindu, that's one way to look at it. But the new thing Shurabindu brings changes the entire sense altogether. So you can't just, you know, develop that thought like that. That new element changes everything. Then you begin to see in Vedas that, okay, this is a supramental effort. Now people talk about it who knew about it till shurbindu spoke about it now we can say because shurbinda has written even when he speaks in the kena upanishad he speaks about the supramental godhead but where is it in any of the commentaries of the kena upanishad it's not there because he discovered and he saw that the entire effort of creation is towards that so we need to understand that you know Shurabindu has brought in something completely new And we cannot receive that completely new if our head is full of all the old tables and we believe that it is the same thing, a rehash of the same thing. That's why Shubindu cautioned, I don't want to give my sanction to the old fiasco or to bring the old wine in a new bottle. It's a new wine. Let's sever the new wine. Not compare it that, you know, it is like the one I had tasted earlier. Something completely new. And the fourth thing, fourth objection that people often bring in Surbindu's writings is his English is difficult. It is. (laughs) It is. After all, Cambridge. (laughs) But let's try to one moment understand. See, Shurabindu was fighting an enemy. Enemy means the Britishers, the imperialists, who were very proud of their so called culture and had put down the entire Indian thought and culture as if nothing. And even with regard to language. So, Shubhin, and they would understand only if there is somebody who, in their own game, can beat them. You see, how do we respond when there is a foreigner who speaks in Sanskrit? Say, oh my god, isn't it? <laughs> We are very happy, huh? Are you, it's okay, it's <laughs> okay. But we, an average person is goes gaga. You know, if somebody speaks in Sanskrit, that look, it's great to know Sanskrit. But you know, we almost then start quoting, start this thing. It's wonderful if somebody learns Sanskrit, somebody who is from a foreign country. Like the way we went over Max Muller, all in and all out. So the so you know, knew this game very well. So when he spoke English, the Englishmen heard. Otherwise, they wouldn't even care. They will say, he doesn't know even what he speaking. Even if you did not see Ramakrishna bring in a very high realization, did not Swami Vivekananda himself an erudite person? But they didn't hear. I mean, those who were spiritually inclined heard, but the empire didn't care. You know how they wrote about Swami Vivekananda, in very depreciating terms. Because obviously they couldn't understand. They would understand okay if he wrote something which is impeccable. That's why there is that famous story when Shurbinda was taking the steamer all the way to come to Pondicherry and he had to take the medical certificate. And he goes to the doctor last minute, and there was the risk that he may get caught, but when he goes there and he the man was drunk. Of course, Shurbindo <laughs> has made a humorous aside to it, but I won't mention it here. So he goes there and that man half drunk gets up and he has to ask questions. Timur is going to leave in two hours. But the moment he heard Srivindo's English, he said, oh, somebody who speaks such an English, he cannot be any convict to anybody. He immediately, you know, signed the certificate. One of the things. And same thing when the French governor then, who was instigated by the British, came to um, you know, investigate Shirobindo because apparently some papers were found in the well which were confiscated. It was all a planned, planted thing. But when he came to talk to Shirobindo, when he heard him speak French with fluency, he said, no, no, this is not possible. So he had to reply to them in their own language. In the bargain, he lifted English also, universal medium subsequently, to what heights? At the same time, not everything that Sri the writes is difficult English. A lot of things. For a seeker, for somebody having questions and one who wants to practice the path of yoga, there are the entire five, six volumes of letters, which includes letters on yoga, letters on the mother, letters on himself. They are all very beautiful, simple English. So, this objection is also nothing else but the sign of a lazy mind. And let's shun laziness in this susque centenary I don't know, every time I pronounce the word, I am not sure whether I am pronouncing it right. <laughs> but whatever it is, let us take the resolve in this centenary year, this wonderful year, that let us read Sri Aurobindo and the Mother's Centenary is coming. And I think if we can read and try to live it, that is what will make them not only happy, but they'll be the most worthy tribute ever. And if you don't know English language, learn the language. At least a little bit. If you don't know how to learn the language, read Shurbindo, and one will imbibe English. I have seen people actually. Any language actually. If you live together and start speaking, reading, you will pick it up. So we don't have to have an English tutor. (laughs) Read Sherubindo. Start with simple letters. I even can give a very preposterous suggestion. I have seen it works. Read Savitri. It will develop intelligence and give us the uh, and, and inculcate language and language the way Shura has expressed this, because Shura expression is very unique. It's not just literature and language, not just grammar and syntax, but something which is very unique, which is poetry in prose, to, you know, where there is a rhythm, a mantra. So, let us read Shura in this wonderful year and for all years to come, and try to live in whatever measure. And if we can do it, that will be the best homage to Sri and the Mother. Namaste.